we have done it. We've made it to the end of the minor prophets. In fact, in our English Bible, it's the end of the Old Testament, Malachi. And uh, appropriately placed because as far as the canonical prophets go, Malachi was the last one who spoke and ends his book with a, a wonderful quote about a coming one who would prepare the hearts of the people for the coming day of the Lord. Um, Malachi goes by many names. Uh, many of you studied under Tony Ash or know Tony Ash from Abilene Christian. He was fond of calling Malachi the Italian prophet, Malachi. He would... Um, he taught an Old Testament survey course, the second half of the Old Testament, and he would describe it as from Job to Malachi. So anytime I see Malachi, I think of Malachi. Also, scholars tend to identify Malachi as the anonymous prophet because they're not sure Malachi was his name at all. Because Malachi means, if you were in Bible class, you know the answer to that my messenger. And throughout the book, he speaks of my messenger. God speaks of my messenger. There's no lineage of Malachi given, no father, grandfather like we're used to. So it could be that we really don't know the name of Malachi. We just know he was a messenger from God. Some of those same scholars identify him with Ezra, as in Ezra Nehemiah, because the issues addressed by Malachi are the same issues that were addressed during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, we don't know. I have another name for Malachi. I like to call him the prophet of questions. Uh, out of a short 55 verses of Malachi, we have 22 questions asked. And that's rather significant, I believe. Uh, this passage in chapter 3 has some questions, and we'll be talking about those in just a moment. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, the Word of God. God says, See, I will send my messenger, Malachi, who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant, whom you desire, will come, says the Lord God Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who bring offerings in righteousness and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But then you ask a question. How are we to return? 
May God bless the reading of his word. You know, the different stages of life each have their challenges and their blessings. And when I think back about some of the stages I've been through, one of my favorites was being a father of young children. And think about the times when I would go and pick them up from school. That was just always a special time of day. I don't know, maybe they were tired, their guard was down. But we usually had some good conversations on the way home from school. And normally those conversations started with questions. I would ask questions such as, well, how was your day? What did you talk about in class? Did you learn anything new? The kids would ask questions like, is there anything to eat at home? Or can we stop by Sonic on the way? But questions are good because they stir up conversation. They get things going. They make us think. Uh, Many of you have heard of an author, a Nobel Prize winning author, Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel uh, uh, grew up during the 30s and 40s. He was about 15 years old whenever his family, a Jewish family, was placed into the concentration camps of Germany. Spent time in Auschwitz and in Buchenwald. And there he lost his parents and he lost one of his sisters. And he has written some amazingly touching reflections and uh, memories of those times. In one of his works, he thinks back, though, to the time before the concentration camps, before the war had begun. And one of his most pleasant memories was coming home after school. And he would walk in, and his mom would normally be there with something for him to eat and to welcome him with a hug. And she would ask a question. And the question that she always asked was this, did you ask any good questions today? Now, isn't that a marvelous question to think about? Did you ask any good questions today? Those of you who teach know the value of coming up with those really good questions and how valuable it is in the teaching process to ask something that really causes people to think. I know one of the most frustrating times when I'm teaching is when I ask a question and I get no answer. And I don't normally think, oh, these people don't know anything. What I think is, I didn't ask that question very well. I've got to think of a better way to ask that question so that they will ponder it and struggle with it and have some kind of an answer. And when you're a student, it's really great to be listening and to think of questions to ask so that you can push the teacher and push the subject and go on even further. Well, Malachi was very aware of this. That's why, as I mentioned, out of his short little book of 55 verses, there are 22 questions that are asked. Now, some of those are questions that the prophet asks the people. Some of them, he really, it's God asking the question. Some of those are questions that the people ask the prophet or ask God. And some are questions that the people had in their minds, but were afraid to ask. And Malachi would bring that question out. And it turns into a wonderful conversation that explores many things. Now, if I could, I want to chase a rabbit here real fast. The idea of of questions can be very valuable in your personal devotional life, too. We need to ask ourselves questions. We need to ask God questions. 
One of the most valuable spiritual disciplines I ever ran across was the, the discipline of turning Scripture into questions. To read a Scripture and then say, okay, what question do I need to ask that that uh, particular Scripture brings to my mind? For example, the Lord's Prayer. We're taught to pray the Lord's Prayer. You know, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, we, we learn to say those words, but what happens when we turn them into questions? When instead of just addressing God as Father, we stop and ask, How can I experience God more as Father? As his child, how can I better appreciate that relationship? And instead of just saying, hallowed be your name, ponder the question, what can I do in my life that will bring holiness to the name of God? What can I say? Who can I be so that God's name will be held up as holy? And not just that the kingdom of God come, but how can the kingdom of God come more fully in me? And how can the kingdom of God come full, uh, more fully in my life to others? And then, woo, the really hard one. Instead of just praying, thy will be done, stop and ask ourselves, what in my life needs to change to be in line with the will of God? Where is my will still dominant in my life? And I have not yielded myself to his will. So you see, questions can be very valuable in helping us to grow and helping us to uh, face uh, different things that we haven't known. <clears throat> and I don't know what's happening to my voice, but we're going to make it through. All right. Some of the questions that are asked in Malachi are questions like this. How has God loved us? That's an amazing question. Just to stop and think. How do I know God's love? How have I experienced God's love? Boy, do we need to be aware of those things, don't we? And that question moves me not just to think about it, but to pull out a piece of paper or in these days maybe fire up the iPad and start writing down. Here is how I have experienced God's love. I experienced it here and here and here and here. And to keep those things uppermost in my mind, in my heart, knowing that God has really, truly shown me his love. So that whenever those other times come along where we begin to question the love of God, we can reassure our hearts, no, 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 don't doubt. Look at how God has loved me. Another question sounds sort of like what we were talking about with the Lord's Prayer. The people ask, how have we dishonored the name of God? What things have we done and said that caused people not to treat God with honor? Another good question. And I love this one too. I think this one Malachi asked the people. If we call, oh, let, me see, let me read it again. If the same God created us all and all of us together call him father, then why do we treat each other the way we do? Good question, isn't it? If we truly have that kind of tie with one another, why is it that we say the things we do and why is it that we often do the things we do one to another? The people asked, does God ever grow weary of us? 
good thing to think about. And then finally, they ask at the end here, and we'll come back to this in a moment, how can we find our way back to God? If we want to get back, how do we return to Him? But the question that is in our text at the very beginning is one that I want us to wrestle with one more time before we leave the minor prophets. You will recognize this question because almost every one of the 12 prophets we have studied brought this question up in one way or another. And each one addressed it in a little bit different way. And the question is this, why doesn't God get rid of all the evil around us? Now, Malachi has got a way of addressing that question. Guess how Malachi is going to answer that question? With a question. Oh, boy, y'all are sharp, aren't you? You got it. He's going to ask them a question. And the question he asks them is this. Are you really ready for God to deal with the evil? Think about it now. Do you really, really want God to do something about the evil in this world. That brings up something that we kind of think in a poor way about, I think. Um, normally, when I think of good people and bad people, I kind of think, okay, here are the good people, and here are the bad people, and there's a line going right down the middle. Uh, I can't quite see the line here. There's a line that goes down the middle of this auditorium in the pews here. So, you know, we can say, okay, all the good people are over here, right, guys? All right, and all the evil people are over here. No, well, not here. But we tend to think that way. We tend to categorize. Is someone a good person or is, there, or is someone an evil person? However, what Malachi wants us to wrestle with is that if God were to separate good from evil, that line that separates good from evil would go right through the middle of every one of us. Because hopefully there is good inside of each one of us. But we have to face the fact that we still struggle with the evil that dwells within each one of us. Now, Malachi makes that point that none of us are totally good. And that we should really hold off on demanding that God do something about the evil in the world. Hold off at least until we can stand before him with no evil within ourselves. Now, Malachi is going to make two points about that. One is he does, in, he does say that God is extremely concerned about the evil within people. And guess who he is most concerned about getting the evil out of? His own people. He brings up the Levites. The Levites were the clergy of the day. This kind of makes Brian and I a little antsy up here, you know. But he says, okay, you guys... We need to get the evil out of your lives so that your leadership in worship will be more authentic and that you will lead the people to, to present better offerings before the Lord. God is concerned that his people, those who wear his name, represent him well. You know, here at Johnson Street, we talk a lot about being the hands and face of Jesus. And I believe that is true, and I believe it's a great way of thinking of ourselves. But there are times in our lives, many times in our lives, that we're not only the hands and feet, we're the face. We're the face of Jesus that other people see. And if they see in us the evil, or they see in us things that they are disappointed about, 
Some people never experience much of God at all, except the God that they see in our eyes and the God that they hear in our voice and the God that they see in our actions and what we do. So God basically is saying, if you're going to wear my name, if you're going to call yourself one of my children, and then here within the new covenant, if you wear the name Christian, do you know what Christian means? Little Christ. That we are saying that we are looking like Christ. Then be concerned about removing the evil out of your life. Make it something that is a goal to search your heart and to find those things that do not yet conform to the will of God and remove them. Take it seriously. Reminds me of what Jesus said whenever he said, you know, if you've got an eye that causes you to sin, what should you do with that eye? Pluck it out. Say, wow. And you got a hand that keeps stealing, you know, and doing things it shouldn't do? Cut it off. Now, he wasn't being totally literal, because we know it's not the hand, it's not the eye's fault. But what he was saying is, this quest within us to identify and remove anything ungodly is a lifelong serious quest that we as God's people are called to do. And God is concerned about our efforts in doing that. Malachi goes on to say that God wants to help us with this, and he uses two illustrations that when you stop and think about them are kind of scary. You know, it reminds me of what Paul said about the discipline of the Lord, that if we are his children, he will discipline us, you know? And uh, many of you know what discipline is from your childhood. You know what it is as a parent. Well, God is called upon to try to help us to remove the the wrong thinking and the wrong actions from our lives. The two illustrations that Malachi gives is one, he says, it's like a fuller cleaning and bleaching out the pelt or the, the skin of a sheep or a goat. Now, I know that the version that I read kind of softened that up. It said a launderer with a soap, right? But the original talks about a fuller and using lye soap. You know what it's like to get the oil and the residue and the dirt out of wool? Back then, they would take it and they would use lye soap. And they would knead it. And they would wring it. And they would put it on the ground and they would trample on it. They would take big sticks and they would beat it. So that they would get rid of all the impurities out of it. So for Malachi to use this, he's once again, is like what Jesus said, pluck out the eye, cut off the eye, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. The other illustration he uses is the refiner's fire. And that one we can understand that when you've got a, got a lump of metal that's mixed with impurities, you can take it and heat it to a level where the pure metal can survive and will endure but the, the dross or the, 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 the impurities will be melted away. And Malachi says that's what God will sometime do with us. He'll turn up the heat so that maybe, just maybe, you'll get rid of what you don't need. You'll get rid of the things that are holding you down. You will get rid of the things that are not in ordinance with his will. Another thing about that, he doesn't say this, but I always thought it was interesting that one way these ancient refiners would tell if they had pure silver or not, 
They would put the silver in a container and heat it up until all the impurities had burned off. And they would lean over and look. And if they could see themselves reflected in the silver, they knew it was pure. You think about that. That as we seek to get the impurities out of our own lives, you can almost see God leaning over and looking to see if he sees his own image reflected in us. That we truly are reflecting his nature and who he is. Malachi calls his people not to forget this great quest that we are on. We not only are on the quest just simply to enjoy our lives, which he certainly wants us to, but also on the quest to constantly be aware of the things that slip into our lives that hold us back, the things that are not like him. At the end of the reading that we gave in verse 7 of chapter 3, uh, Malachi says for the Lord, the Lord says that if you will draw, if you will return to me, I will return to you. And the people there ask a rather haunting question. They said, we don't know how to do that. How can we return to the Lord? Well, you know, we don't have an answer given by Malachi, but we have an answer given by Jesus. If we turn over to John chapter 14, that same basic question is asked by Thomas. Thomas asked Jesus this, Lord, how do we know the way? And Jesus answered, you know it, don't you? I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have a blessing that the generations before us long to have. I love the passage that says, the things that we know and understand about God and his will, great heroes in the past long to know those things and to experience those things. And one of the greatest blessings we have is a pathway back to God, a Lord and Savior who loves us, who will help us remove the things from our lives that need to be removed. But most of all, will give us the grace and the mercy that we need to stand before God and let us wear his righteousness and his goodness as we stand in the presence of our God. The invitation of the Lord is always, come to me and let me help. Come to me and through me you will find God. That invitation stands today. Let's stand and sing.